This is the Warriors Community Podcast. We inspire, equip, and empower others. We inspire by sharing our stories, our personal experiences, by asking questions and answering questions for other people. We equip by sharing our resources. What books have you read? Podcasts have you listened to? Even movies that you've watched? What tools have worked for you or haven't worked for you and why? We empower by walking through healing journeys with each other and just walking through life in general. We hope that by listening to this podcast, you feel inspired, equipped, or empowered. Now, not every podcast series is applicable to you, and we know that, but we hope that you are able to take something away from each podcast and hope that there is a series that really does speak to you and that you relate with personally at some point. We are in the Enough series right now, but we are planning more series to come out with to inspire, equip, and empower. Enjoy the podcast. Before we begin today's conversation, I do want to make a brief disclaimer. Not all of the views, beliefs, and core values expressed by guests on this podcast necessarily reflect the views, beliefs, and core values of myself or the Warriors community. However, we at the Warriors community do believe that everyone has a right to speak up, to speak out, and to share their story. And with their story will come what they believe, what they think, and what they feel. So I hope you enjoy today's podcast. I hope that you walk away feeling challenged or feeling inspired, equipped, and empowered. Welcome back to the Warriors podcast. I am so excited to have Rachel back on the show with us. If you don't know Rachel, she was with us in episodes one through four. We had a roundtable conversation with five of us. All of us are ex-members of an organization that we have been exposing through the Enough series. And Rachel is someone I lived with off and on for, I don't know, five years, four or five years. And Probably. someone yeah. that I've remained in touch with off and on throughout the years, we reconnected just a couple of months ago after not yeah. seeing each other or speaking for a long time. And what I love about Rachel is sure, she's a wife, she's a mom, she's a teacher, she juggles a lot. She has a lot (laughs) of balls in the air, but she has taken time to start processing what we went through. She's taken time to take her past experiences from a previous marriage and from this organization we were in and learn from it and learn how to be a good, healthy, godly wife and mom. So That's what I want to focus on today. This conversation for this podcast was really sparked from casual conversations, just Mm -hmm. reconnecting and being friends. And Rachel's made some great points about what it is to be a mom and learning her parenting style and what it is to be a good wife from these bad experiences. And not a lot of people can do what you've done. There are a lot of people from this organization or just 
but let's think about church and religion in general who get hurt or abused they experience some kind of offense and maybe even they're upset rightfully so but they kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater and can turn bitter or can just turn away from God and the church and the whole thing. And you haven't done that. You've managed to remain grounded, even though you may have doubt, you may have confusion or questions, and you've managed to challenge yourself as a wife and a mom. So Rachel, thank you for coming back on the show with us. You're welcome. I really appreciate it. You you introduced yourself in episode one. So for those of you who missed that, we're going to skip the long introduction. You can go back to the first episode and get it there. But basically, Rachel, can you give a brief recap of who you are and how long you were in this organization? I was in this organization probably off, well, consistently for about four years and then on and off for probably another three And I say on and off just because I, at that point I had had my first baby and it just was difficult to be super involved while also taking care of a tiny human. But that was mm, almost 10 years ago. So it's been a while since I've really been in touch with these people, but probably a total seven, six or seven years. Just to explain the personal dynamics really quick between Rachel and I, yes, we were roommates. But we were put in a funny position. So I want to say this before we dive into the real conversation. So my past was really sexual. I had a lot of abuse and this ministry had a tendency to really praise someone who had a a bad, juicy background because it was so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say like, it was so interesting because they really focused on that. But at the same time, it's almost like the people with the backgrounds like yours, they were so focused on trying to fix it and make your present and your future be all squeaky clean. Like my past was Mm -hmm. that they forgot about the people who did have the squeaky clean past. It was like, it was a weird dynamic. The more I think about it, the more I just don't understand how they came to the conclusion that that was okay. But yeah, sorry. I was like, no, it yeah. was just totally because it, it it was an odd thing of we have to get all of the people who were really bad and have horrible mm-hmm. tasks and we have to fix them. So we were more of a project, but yet we were also handed the microphone quite a bit. So anytime this organization would go to speak at a special event or a church or we would go on a mission trip we were preaching. I mean, I will say one good thing that came out of that organization is we all know how to speak with a microphone. (laughs) We were thrilled to share our testimony and to Mm -hmm. preach. So I, I, I will say, I appreciate that, but I was handed the microphone often because I have a story to tell. Right. Rachel didn't have a story to tell according to the organization because she wasn't super rebellious, no trauma to speak of. (laughs) You didn't sleep with anyone. You were a virgin. So yeah, like you said, those of you who didn't have 
a so-called past were really ended up being devalued. And I don't know if yeah. that was intentional. I can't say for sure, but it is what happened. You were kind of pushed aside. And there were times where they actually said, no, Rachel's not speaking. Liza is. And that created mm -hmm. a funny, you, like you dealt with the rejection. You yes. dealt with that insecurity in general. And then it was like, it was hard for you and I sometimes because you would be sad. You yeah. And I know, I know we covered this in depth in the, I don't remember which podcast it was, but one of the first four talking about how most people there found themselves there because we wanted to feel like we belonged somewhere with a group of people. And so, um, so many times I found myself just wanting to belong. And I'm thinking like, I just want friends. Like I came from high school and like I was super quiet and super introverted and reserved and I didn't have a lot of close friends in high school. So I get to college and I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to branch out a little bit. I'm going to, you know, grow my little personality and some grow some wings, I guess. I just remember wanting to belong to a group of people. And I thought that's what I had found in this. And so, you know, they, they found out, oh, well, you know, Rachel has a really good past. Like she doesn't have all of the trauma and the, the sexual stuff. And she doesn't have all of that. Like, okay, she's the good one. But then it's, it's almost like it, it felt like in an effort to protect that or protect it, quote unquote, they still like, oh no, Rachel's, Rachel's not going to speak because Rachel doesn't have anything to share. Mm -hmm. Liza's going to speak or somebody else is going to speak, but not Rachel because Rachel doesn't have any life experiences and any of that. And while I still felt like, okay, well, you know, I guess these are my people that I picked. This is my group where I belong. I still didn't completely feel like I belonged because, oh no, Rachel doesn't have a testimony. Rachel doesn't have the juicy details of her past. There was also a weird dynamic with the leader. I'm like, what are... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the lead pastor. Yeah, the lead pastor. I'm like head honcho. I was like, no, not <laughs> yeah. But there's a weird dynamic there where it's like she tagged me as hers, and nobody else could mess with me. But then at the same time, like it's like she was like, no, Rachel's not doing anything. She's just over here mm -hmm. with me. And it was a, also a weird dynamic. It's just yeah, lots it's of things that I had to rehash. Yes isolating for you there's that sense of rejection and then it's really devaluing and it, it it's it's so upside down because i think back to that time and there's a level where i can go god is so kind and he was so gracious he must yes. have known that i was going to finally be okay in life at yeah. the time when i'm preaching and i'm giving my testimony i was a really messed up person I had an enormous amount of trauma that I had no words for. I was still having a whole lot of sex and still getting up and leading worship and preaching. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sharing details of my past that probably mm -hmm. should not have been shared. I didn't even know how to give God the glory for my, my life experience because I didn't, I couldn't see God in my story yet. Right. And and yet I got the microphone when you are over here, who was, was actually probably more spiritually mature than I was, but we're not going to acknowledge that we, we raise our kids to be a Rachel. We, we don't raise our kids and say, go get hurt. 
go right. get an abusive relationship here, like mm-hmm. try all the drugs and get into a really bad lifestyle. We don't want that for our children. We try yeah. to reach them right. But then when people do turn out right, like I think about you or even my sister or my husband, y'all were the mm-hmm. quote unquote good kids. But I'm like, isn't that how it was supposed to be? Didn't you? <laughs> aren't you really a testimony of success? And why don't we talk about that? That was always a weird thing to reflect on. Yeah, and um, but like the way they made it seem because they seem to have a pattern of really going after the messed up people mm-hmm. and wanting to fix them so badly where, and it's the people who have not been, you know, quite as messed up <laughs> are just not important to that organization as sad as that is <laughs> you saying, Oh, you were the good kid. You weren't rebellious earlier is really funny. Cause when we've talked about the deliverances that we have all been through mm-hmm. hundreds of times, that was the one thing that they always told me, Oh, well, there's just something left and we just can't quite, we don't know what it is. We can't get it out. And they always told me I was too rebellious. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I do remember that. Well, you were rebellious because you were, you came in to this organization dating someone who Mm -hmm. is, is still in ministry and on the mission field. He's re he's, he's remarried. He, he never married you. He's (laughs) married and has a family. So he's totally in ministry, but that, that was the call on his life. Right. For forever. He was very, yeah. aware of that and you were like wait so what if I don't want to go camp in the bush bush for forever yes and that's okay right. but it's received as rebellion yes and looking back I'm like first of all they were not married second of all if you don't right. want to go dedicate your life to Jesus by living in a hut in a third world country that's also okay right and I think it's, this is another thing. It's the mini soapbox. And I know we've talked about this before, but <laughs> with that organization, they are, I've seen this posted on their website. Um, they're very much of the opinion that if you are not quote unquote sold out to Jesus and willing to go to the ends of the earth, preach the gospel in every other country and go to all of the different places, then you're not really sold out. You're not really living your life for the Lord. And that's so frustrating because they're leaving out the part of the great commission where Jesus says, go to Judea, Samaria. Like he starts local first. Mm -hmm. And while I love foreign mission trips, I've been on many of them and they have all been for the most part, wonderful experiences. I love to travel. I love to go see different places, but at the same time, they put such a pull on the ends of the earth that they tend to leave out the Judea and the Samaria, even your own family. I say this all the time within the education world, like not everyone is called to be a teacher, but even within the people who are called to be teachers, not everyone is called to teach secondary or elementary. Like you have the the people in the education world who say like, oh, you know, I could never do high school. I am not called to teach high school. I'm not called to teach kindergarten. I couldn't do it or special education. Like you have these almost like sub callings within the calling. And I really think that as believers, yes, we're called to spread the gospel. We're called to share that, not just with our words, but 
with our actions and our entire lives as well. And being a mom for me, you know, parent for anyone else listening, my kids and my family are my first mission field. Mm-hmm. Like once I became a mom, like I, I had the thought and I was okay with this thought. I thought I'm not going to go on any foreign mission trips for a while because I'm a mom. Like I have kids. And while I would love to take my kids on a foreign mission field, growing that desire to do that and growing that seed in their heart, or pl- I mean, it starts with planting the seed first, really. So it's like they put such a call on like I said, the ends of the earth. And they make you feel, if you don't feel called to the ends of the earth, they make you feel like you are less of a believer than you actually are. And I've actually, up until recently, I've kind of struggled with that. And a couple of years ago, I realized, I was like, no, like if I live my life on a foreign mission field, but my kids don't grow up to know and love Jesus, then what have I done with my life? And even now, I mean, living in Texas, having a regular job, having a regular quote unquote regular life. Like if, if I, if I grow up, I'm already grown up. I forget (laughs) sometimes I'm like, Oh wait, I am the grown up adult. I forget. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you know, if my kids grow up and I have not at least taught them, this is who Jesus is. This is why we love him. This is why we serve him. This is how he loves us. Then what have I done with my life? I could have gone to every country in the world to preach the gospel, but if my kids don't know the gospel, then what's the point is, is my take. So it's really, it really gets me fired up. Really fired up. up. In our private conversations, I'm like, whoa, Rachel is feeling all the things. (laughs) It really does. Because I know that there are people within that organization, even currently who want to get married, who want to have the babies, who want to have your quote unquote regular life, but still love Jesus. And maybe not regular, maybe they do want to, you know, move to a different state or country to share the gospel, but they still want to get married and have babies and do the things. And I think God places those desires in our hearts. But I know that those people are being told that, oh, well, if you do that, you're not being sold out to God. Yes. And that is infuriating because they're misrepresenting what the great commission was like even jesus didn't go to the ends of the earth he was local his disciples like there were and even all of his disciples didn't go to all of the ends like there were people who stayed within their own community i remember when i first moved back to the dallas area i started attending a church in the in the north dallas area and found out that this church was really big on the community locally. Yes, our church does missions. They actually don't do a lot of missions internationally. We have some places that we go consistently, but for the most part, it is really big on serving in your community. And our church has expanded to multiple campuses now. And within each campus, there's a plan of how we're going to reach that community. And it's different with each campus because each campus is in a different area. So I, I was always really amazed and impressed with that. And the first few months that I was in that church, I had to do a lot of unlearning because this organization does that they preach. You've got to be willing to live your life on the mission field 
And if you're going to live in America, that's fine, but you better be going out and doing missions and be dedicated to that somehow. And, mm-hmm. and so my current church just views missions and the local community so different. Yes. And I really love that. But it it was a hard lesson to learn, actually, because I mm-hmm. found myself feeling relieved that my church feels that way and operates that way. But I also found myself judging my church for a little bit, like, wait, mm-hmm. a that's not mm-hmm. how we do things. That's not what the Bible said. But then when I would read the Bible, it's like you just said, the community is so important. Your local community is so important. You know, while you were talking and sharing that, I had to look this up because it reminded me of Lance Wall now and the Seven Mountains. This Mm -hmm. is really old. So a lot of you may not know who Lance Wall now is and what the Seven Mountains are. But I remember this organization actually spent a lot of time teaching this to us because they thought it was so important. But I, I, I find it interesting how off balance it is. So yes. Lance Wall now in the Seven Mountains, it's it's basically saying that there are seven mountains that need to be infiltrated by believers that we should stand for stand up for, that we should be involved in. And one is media and entertainment. So Lance Wall now has a belief that Hollywood obviously is what it is, but It's that way because we are lacking believers in that industry. In Mm -hmm. government, we have to have believers in government if we want to get stuff done. Education, will you teach? You are in education. The economy, religion, celebration, and family. And they're not all in that order. You know, I think about the wife who maybe is a stay-at-home mom and her husband works a non-ministry job and she's just raising her kids and and her one desire is to raise children who know god and good humans that is not in my opinion any less valuable than someone who is in a third world country has an entire mission base and raise their family in the bush bush i just think everyone has a different call like you said and And they shouldn't be, they shouldn't be devalued for that. And you're feeling rejected, devalued, ignored, set aside. You did something to make yourself have a story. Can you share with us <laughs> what you did so that you Besides can- the wine that I bought and then you had to throw in the sink. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. You all, you did do that. You tried to drink and then I was ordered to dump it down the sink, even though I was drinking myself. Yes. So. Also, <laughs> and I was legal. I had just turned 21 <laughs> and I, I bought that legally. And I think I know what you're talking about. I think the wine and the next thing they were right around the same time, actually. I had just turned 21, and so I decided, you know what? I can buy alcohol, and I can do it legally. So I did, and I don't even know if it was wine. I think it was like Boone's Farm or something. Yeah, and I'm like, really that's cheap. barely alcohol. And we were living in a house with no minors. All of us were over 21. Yeah. Yeah. I was also drinking and hiding it, and yet I was a leader. And I, and, I mean, we were both leaders, but I was more... I was in more leadership than you were. And so I was told to dump it 
And because I wasn't going to out myself, (laughs) I'm a good leader. I was like, yeah, I can't believe Rachel. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I did. I tore your room apart. I found it and dumped it down. You were so mad at me. Yeah, I do remember. And I am very Because I hid it really well. I I don't remember where it was, but I I remember I really had to uncover it. I think I had like a storage tub either in my closet or under a bed somewhere. And I had like out of season clothes or something in that tub or like scarf something. I don't remember. And I think I had hidden it underneath the clothes in that tub. And then I went (laughs) to go pour myself a little. Actually, I don't even think I had a glass of any kind. I think it was just, I think I just drank it from the bottle. (laughs) But there wasn't very, like I hadn't, I think that was also what made me, what made me so mad was because I had just bought it. Like I didn't have very much of it. I had just bought it. I was like, you wasted the whole thing. (laughs) I'm going to buy you a bottle of wine. Next time I see you, I'm going to bring you a bottle of wine. (laughs) (laughs) You just have to laugh at some points because if you don't, then you're going to either cry or get really mad. (laughs) And I've done all three of them. Right. So you did the alcohol. But then you went and did something else that caused a lot more consequences in your life. (laughs) And honestly, kind of my thought process with this was, well, if you're going to tell me I'm rebellious, well, then I'm just going to live up to it. That's what you've been speaking over me. And it's all of the irony because they're big on, oh, don't speak that over blah, blah, blah. Like, don't speak that over this situation and don't speak that over that person. But here they are telling me, oh, you still have that spirit of rebellion. We just can't get it off of you. You're just so rebellious. And I'm like, well, okay, let me show you some rebellion. <laughs> That's kind of what was going through my head. So there was a guy that at the time actually lived right across the street from the house that we lived in. And I remember, actually, this was the neighbor that we used to complain about yep. who played country music really, really loud. And we could hear it all the way across the street in our kitchen, like doors. And so shut. late in the middle of the night, so loud. Yes. And at that time, I was working three different jobs. So I would get home really late at like 11 o'clock. I would come home and, you know, go in the house. And one night, this guy who lived across the street looking back now and after having talked to him I knew he was a little drunk Rachel poor naive little Rachel didn't recognize that but now I do so I'm like okay that's why so anyways he comes over and he starts having a conversation with me and gets knowing me and or as best as you can at 11 o'clock at night when I'm tired and he's drunk you know so he ends up asking me for my phone number and we started hanging out and I guess you could call it dating the lead pastor and her sidekick. I guess, I don't remember how they found out, but they found out, oh, Rachel's, you know, seeing this guy and he's not a believer and he's, he needs Jesus. And it was us, by the way. Oh, was it? It was me and Angela because we had to, we were over the house. So we had to watch you and then be like, (laughs) oh my gosh, there's this guy who's an atheist. Mm -hmm. He wants to date Rachel because you came and, right after giving him the number, and we were all like, "You did what?" And so yeah. of course we had to tell on you. Yeah, I'm also sorry for that. <laughs> I mean, it's okay; it all works out. <laughs> At first, the lead pastor, if I'm rem- remembering correctly, it could have been this guy or it could have been another guy who she actually encouraged me to continue seeing them because she was also really big on 
missionary dating. So she was okay with me dating whoever, as long as I was going to use that to lead them to the Lord. Yep. And I was like, I don't feel like doing that. I just don't want to. Mm -hmm. And so there was, I guess it was probably a period of about three weeks or so. This guy tried to break up with me. Apparently he had a three week rule with his own self that that's the longest he was going to date a girl and sleep with her and do whatever he wanted and then dump her at three weeks later. Did you have sex at that point? That's why he was going to dump me because I was very adamant. Like, no, I don't want to have sex. So at his little three week mark, he tries to break up with me and I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'll just go back across the street to my house and that's fine. Whatever. So I start walking back across the street and he like chases me. And I realize now he didn't get what he wanted when he wanted it. Mm -hmm. So he was, it was like a game in his head. I'm going to chase her until I get what I want. And so then he was like, oh, you know, I don't want to lose you. This is just, I'm sorry. I just shouldn't have. I was like, okay, I mean, fine, but you're not going to get the thing that you want. I'm not going to have sex with you just because that's what you want. So we continued seeing each other for a few more weeks. And eventually the only way I know to describe it is if sex is a line in the sand, slowly and slowly, we were getting closer and closer and closer and closer to that line. I got to the point where I was like, I don't even know where the line is anymore. Like, have we crossed the line? I don't know. And if I'm not sure that we've crossed the line, well, we might as well, because I don't even know where it is anymore. We did end up having sex. We had a, we had a lot of it. And within two weeks, and, and I was not on any kind of birth control because up until that point, I had no need for it whatsoever. Within a couple of weeks, I got pregnant with my oldest son. He's almost nine. He'll be nine next month. And from there, once it was almost like once the leadership, once the lead pastor and her sidekick knew that he and I were having sex, then me seeing him was no longer okay. And she has said these words to me, like, once you have, once you have sex with someone you're dating, then you lose your witness was her words. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but okay. I'm not really sure. But what she meant, I think was as far as missionary dating goes, you've lost your voice. So now there's no chance in him ever seeing Jesus because you slept with him. So again, your fault. That's a thing. Yes. And the disapproval was so high and the control was so high that I was told multiple Mm -hmm. times actually to come rip you out of his bed, like let myself in his home Yes. And drag you out of bed, which has happened before. People were sent to uh, to me to get me out of bed with a guy. Uh, that's not an uncommon thing. Sending right. people to wait until you left so and so's house just say so mm-hmm. you were sleeping with them, but I wouldn't do it. And actually, multiple people were asked mm-hmm. to do that. I think they all told her no. Yeah, we also. I mean, know, but I just kept thinking because that had happened to me. Mm-hmm. And that was so unhelpful. It was really just humiliating. I right. just thought I am not about to first walk into someone else's house. That's called breaking and entering. Right. Second, walk in on them and rip her out of bed because that that changes no one. I had my own concerns just as your friend and we talked mm-hmm. about that. But at the end of the day, I just thought Rachel's grown and she's yeah. gonna 
make your own choice of you and at least one other person who were told like go drag her out of bed and obviously it didn't happen because it or obviously <laughs> y'all told her no I'm not going to do that because it never happened oddly enough I'm thankful that it didn't because I think if that had happened that would have just added more fuel to the fire of well, now you're trying to control me. Like first you call me rebellious and then you tell me it's okay to date this guy. But oh, now that you've had sex with him, it's not okay to date this guy. And now you're trying to control my actions. So I'm just going to do exactly what you don't want me to do. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it even more because you don't want me to do it. That, Which, that, that, that is better. always produced with control. Right. At some point, and, and it, some people take it longer than others, but at some point, mm -hmm. The person being controlled is always going to kick back. Like right. he tells the same story over and over yeah. again. So you got pregnant. I did. And um, the response yeah. of the lead pastor was what? I remember we cried mm -hmm. because I was, I think I was 21 at the time, almost 22. So I was young. I had a job, but not like a, I didn't have a teaching job yet. I was done with college, thankfully, but um, kind of in that awkward in-between stage. And so I just wasn't really sure. I knew my parents were going to be extremely disappointed um, because of how I was raised. I mean, I knew I could be a mom, but just all of the unknowns were scary. So I remember that she and I and the sidekick, we cried together. And I will say there was never a question of keeping the baby or not. I will say that for them, they've always been, I could say pro-life, but really I'm like, is it? They're pro-baby. Um, <laughs> and I remember the lead pastor telling me that a baby's always a blessing. And honestly, that is one thing that will probably always stick with me in a positive way. A baby is always a blessing. The circumstances in which it got here might be difficult. The circumstances might be not a blessing, but the baby, the person always is. Essentially, it's God is allowing us to help him create life is, is what happens. And that's a whole nother tangent I could go off on. But I always look at it that way. Like, okay, the baby is always a blessing. Like God has created life. And in that moment, I was like, okay, I'm getting to create life with him. Just wasn't my ideal situation. And so... I don't remember. I mean, I remember I was still involved. I still lived in the house with everybody up until like six months pregnant, I think. And then he and I decided to move in together earlier when you were saying, you know, you were doing all these things and still leading worship and being in leadership. At that time, I think I was also on the worship team. Yes. And when leadership found out that he and I were moving in together, and I was pregnant, but we were not married. I was told I could not be on the worship team. I remember that. Unless we got married. Yes. So that's what I was about to get to is what was the stance on your relationship th that the leadership took? And it was, they wanted you to be married. It's almost like, oh, well, you know, Rachel's sin is visible. <laughs> you can see what she's been doing. Oh, that's um, good. I'm and glad she's, that. but everyone else's stuff, like <laughs> including people who are, yes, I was going to say, yeah. including people who are still involved, as long as your sin isn't visible, then it's fine. 
Mm-hmm. But mine was. So, oh no, we cannot have a pregnant, unmarried girl on the worship team. Mm-hmm. No way. We ended up getting married almost a month after we moved in together. It was not quite a month, but almost. To this day, he will tell you that I pressured him into marrying him. And that's not completely true. I laugh at that because I know him. Yes. His exact words to me before we moved in together, but after we found out I was pregnant was that he wanted to get married before the baby was born. He wanted to marry me. He wanted to move in with me and that was fine. So I was like, okay. So we moved in together and I told him like, if we're going to get married, you told me you wanted to get married before the baby is born. You might, we might as well just do it now. Like we don't have to stay for a wedding. We can go to the JP, like go to JCPenney's and buy some rings. I don't care. And he was fine with that. That's what we ended up doing. The day of, however, was I think where he gets his, oh, you pressured me into marrying me or into marrying you. And I don't remember. There was some argument that we had, and I don't remember why. Honestly, I was probably late leaving work, which was late to the appointment (laughs) to get married. And so then since we were going to be a few minutes late, he didn't want to do it at all. And so family had driven in. I was there. Yeah. And so I was like, no, like, this is what we said we were going to do. So this is what we need to do. Like there are other people involved, other people's time and other people's money is involved. We need to do this. So I felt not pressure that that wouldn't be the right word for that. Just, I felt a sense of like, no, we we've been talking about this anyways. We can't just tell people we're not going to do it because we're going to be a few minutes late. Like, but I do remember feeling pressure from the organization because I wanted to continue leading worship. I enjoyed it. I like doing it. And all of a sudden that was something that was taken away because I had gotten pregnant and I wasn't married and I was living with and boyfriend, fiance, whoever. I do want to pause real quick and, and clarify that under normal circumstances in a church that is healthy, if someone like Rachel who became pregnant and was unwed, I would hope that someone, whether it be the worship pastor or a different pastor would sit with that individual and just have a conversation and check in on them and feel out what are the circumstances, what's happening and help with counseling and Mm -hmm. help with having a good, healthy conversation. And, and if that led to not being on the worship team, then that's fine. As long as it was genuinely for the individual mm-hmm. and it meant that we're going to just have you take a seat and hold off on that for a little bit while we work through some of these things, that's not a punishment. So I don't have a problem with the stance of a church saying, no, we're not going to have X, Y, Z, or we're, or if you're in leadership, this is the standard that that should be a thing. But my problem is the hypocrisy and yes. the double standard, the fact that it wasn't about you, it mm-hmm. was about saving face for yes. history. And mm-hmm. it was really more of a punishment to you because you're right. I mean, I am an example of this, but a lot of people in leadership had problems that were known. And because it, like you said, wasn't so visible, it, mm-hmm. you know, they could continue. So my, my issue, I had a huge issue with that because it was such a double standard. 
And how did that make you feel to have pressure from the organization saying you need to marry him? Did you want to marry him? I think at the time, yes, but I also kind of felt like I had to. And I know this is a whole nother conversation for a whole different time, but being raised in the environment that I was, you know, we went to church every Sunday. My parents are Christians. We were raised that way. (laughs) My mom was the stay at home mom with a dad who worked in a secular job. And for that, I am incredibly grateful because they did. I feel like they did such a great job, but the church background that I grew up in was very like purity culture extreme. And so because of that, and because of those beliefs that I had from that background, I felt like I almost had to marry him because, well, we had sex. I got pregnant. We're having a kid together. It's the right thing to do. So I don't have any other options. Angela and I, we told you not to marry him. I remember us having several conversations and one in particular, I remember the three of us were in the car for something and we were like, don't do it. Like just because you're pregnant does not mean, which by the way, for anyone who's out there, uh, just because you're pregnant doesn't Mm -hmm. mean you have to marry like safety, love, respect, honor, protection. Mm -hmm. Those things come before saving face and getting because this guy not only was an atheist, he, we noticed as friends, he was very controlling, manipulative, Mm -hmm. kind of aggressive And I had been through a a string of men like that. And I'm seeing you and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, this is a problem. And I didn't really start noticing. Actually, I noticed red flags from the beginning. Um, However, I didn't know what they were. Like, I didn't realize they were red flags. I just saw them and thought, that's weird. Um, Mm -hmm. I can remember one time, very, when we first started spending time together, he just left his trash on the Taco Bell table. And I thought, I, and I said to him, like, you left, you have to go get your trash, like throw your trash away. What are you doing? And he was like, that's not my job. That's their job. That's job security for the people who work here. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember, I, like, I didn't recognize that and other things like it as a red flag. I just thought that's really weird. Why would you say that? Mm-hmm. And so looking back now, I realize, oh, there were red flags all over the place. Mm-hmm. I just was, I said, I wasn't naive enough to, to realize, or however I said it backwards, like I knew he wanted sex, but I still was naive enough to not recognize the red flags as red flags. And so, you know, if I had to give myself advice for way back then, I would tell myself the same thing, Rachel, you don't have to marry him just because you're pregnant. I have always said, um, because he ended up being very abusive in all of the ways, some more so than others, but I can check every box, the physical, emotional, mental, verbal, sexual, all of them. Like I can check all of the boxes for ways that he was abusive towards me. And we were married for four years. We ended up getting a divorce. I remember that phone call when you called me. I, I remember I was dog sitting and I was sitting on the floor in their living room and you were like, I'm done. And yeah. I remember crying, but I also remember having this like deep sense of relief. I, and I was like, I will pack your bags. Do you need me to come? <laughs> yeah. My mama and my daddy came down the day, like the night that I told, like I was on the phone with my mom the whole night, basically. And the very next day, 
she and my dad came down and we packed what I needed right then. And they drove me and my kids. Cause at this point we had two kids. They drove me and my kids back home. And honestly, like, oh, so much to my parents. I think we all do it at different points, but my parents are just, they're wonderful. I love them. I have to give them a shout out, but I will say that all of the abuse and just awful, awful. (laughs) I think Jesus really protected me in lots of different ways from lots of different things. Um, Because I know, and I've heard stories of women who have come out of situations like mine and they were not okay. And I'm not saying that I was okay. There was still a lot that I had to work through. I just think God was really, really gracious to me for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even if I would tell myself now, no, you don't have to marry him. Had I not married him, I wouldn't have had my oldest daughter. Yeah. And so I think that was just the verse in the Bible in Romans where it says, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. I fully and firmly believe that that's exactly what he did. He took a really terrible situation that I was in. And even though it was four years, I have two really great kids. They are the good that God brought out of that situation. Pause. I know, I know you were so into that episode and I know you hate ads just like I usually do. But I want to take a second and tell you about the Warriors Apparel. Why Warriors Apparel? Well, it's to remind yourself who you are, a warrior. If you would like your own warrior shirt, you can go to the Warriors Instagram, click on the link tree located in the bio, and you will find right at the top Remind yourself who you are apparel. You can choose from a hoodie, crew neck, unisex t-shirt, or a v-neck t-shirt. They come in two different colors and all the sizes. Go to the link in the bio on Instagram to purchase yours today. Now back to your favorite podcast. I won't ever say that I regret the decisions that I made, even though... They're not the wisest. I would not recommend doing that. And in fact, with my own kids, like eventually when we have the conversation of how things work and mom, why aren't you and dad together? And why did you do this and all of that? And eventually when we have that conversation, I will not recommend to them sleeping with random people. But at the same time, I will never say that I regret that decision because if I had not made that decision, I wouldn't have two of my babies. And I don't know, as a parent, I feel like it's very cliche to say, oh, I wouldn't trade my kids for the world. But really, I wouldn't. I'm very thankful that God brought those two good people out of that really terrible situation. So it's just another testimony, I guess, of just how good he really is in spite of all of the terrible things. How do you have that stance? Because unfortunately, so many people, they walk out of any kind of abuse, whether it's in their relationships or religion, whatever it may be, they they experience church, they experience religion, and they get hurt. And, and again, maybe even rightfully so. I mean, maybe their anger is rightfully so, or their hurt or their offense. I mean, you and I both could say that. And you and I both have had periods where we've 
doubted and questioned and been confused. And I spent a couple of years, super angry at God kind of going, this is my life. These are the things that happened to me and you let this happen. And if you're a good God, where have you been? And I really gave God a good middle finger for a time, but in God's kindness, he met me in that anger. And I can look back after moment after moment, series of events after series of events. And I can go, oh my goodness, like God was so kind to me and he met me and every challenge and every middle finger and F you that I gave God, he pursued me harder. And I've settled after this wrestle that I've had, I've I've managed to settle in my spirit. God is good. And there is nothing at this point mm-hmm. that can happen that will change that belief. And I feel like you have that. You can you can go back and have a lot of emotions about what happened with your ex-husband and with this organization. And you have a lot of good reasons to just be offended and bitter and resentful. But yet here you are, you're remarried to a, an incredible man who adores you. You have yes. you've had a, a baby with him and have managed to live a really healthy life. How have you done that? I don't think I have a really profound answer other than the metaphor that I'm thinking of is a ship in the ocean in the middle of a storm. And I feel like it's really cliche to say, oh, God is my anchor because yes, he is. But really it's, it's more of like when I picture myself and, you know, everything I've gone through and how the heck I've held on and how, like how I'm still as okay as I am. It's almost like God has been the mast of the ship. If I am the ship, he has been the mast. And in the midst of all of the rain and the waves and everything else, there were some times that I was barely hanging on to the mast but I was still there. And there were some times that I had to tie myself to the mast in order to make it through, but I was still there. Um, and there were times that I thought I would rather let go of the mast because that would be easier and I would be put out of my misery almost. But I'm also, I think part of my personality is just very, I can be very, very determined. Once I set my mind to something, that's what I'm going to do. And so I think as I grew up, and as I grew in my, you know, childhood and teenage and young adult relationship with God, I just decided, no, nope, like this is who I'm going to stick with because I know he loves me and I know he's good. And even though in high school, I hadn't really seen a whole lot of personal examples. I had seen, you know, how he was good to my parents and how he provided for our family and how he provided for other people. But I just didn't have life experience to have my own examples, I guess. And so... I just decided, nope, God is good. And I know he's good. And honestly, like I saw my mom go through not an abusive relationship. So I'm not, not the same thing, but also hard times, whether it was managing the bills and my dad too, making sure we had food to eat and making sure we had the lights paid and or electricity and water and everything like that. Um, I saw their hard times and I saw my mom and my dad stay with God. They held on to him and he was he was what kept them firm. And so I think I just had that example for myself. And so going into my adult life, I knew, okay, God was good to my parents. There's no reason he's not going to be good to me. Mm -hmm. And so I just held on sometimes for dear life. Now, looking back, I can see, oh, God has been so good to me. And I think of that song by Bethel, the goodness of God 
that Jen Johnson sing. Mm -hmm. And that one just resonates so well with me because he has always been there for me. And there have been times that I have questioned, like, are you even there? <laughs> are you sure you're good? Are you sure I'm going to be okay? Because it doesn't seem like it right now. Like, are you sure? Hello, are you even listening to me? Type of things and conversations that I've had with him. And he has always just been still and quiet and just gives me a very quiet, I got you. I've got you. You're okay. Yeah. I'm like, well, if you say so, it's fine. <laughs> but then, you know, whatever that situation was, days, weeks, months later, it does work out. And and I'm not going to say it works itself out. I really believe that God works all those things out, but they do. And so I, I get to whatever the end of the situation is. And I'm like, oh, you said you got me. Okay. Yes, you really do. And so just after enough of those situations, I've just kind of learned even in all of the craziness and questioning with what this organization teaches and what I learned there. I've had to unravel a whole lot of stuff and I've really kind of had to hang on to the mast in the middle of my ship and just kind of, I don't want to say ride out the storm, but really look at him, look towards him and say, okay, what are you saying? Not what are they saying? Because they're saying a whole bunch of things and they're saying that you said these things, God, but really, what do you say? And it's just been a lot of looking back at him and really seeing through all of the crap and the junk, like he is still there and he is still good. Even if the situation is not, I can remember when I got divorced, a family member had said, Oh, I've been, I've been praying that Rachel would, would come back to God and she would, she would come back to him and get her life right. And I just remember thinking, what are you talking about? I've always been with him. Like he's the reason I'm still here and I'm okay. <laughs> because there is sometimes like he is the only reason because I clung so tightly to him. So I just thought, I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was sometimes it was hanging on for dear life. So actively choosing to trust and actively mm -hmm. choosing to say, okay, God, I'm with you, yes. which is and so much easier said than done because yes, I was going to say that it is so much easier to say that than it is to actually do that. It can be really, really hard sometimes. Well, I think about when like a parent child relationship or even in your mm -hmm. marriage, you have to know when to trust the other person. I think yes. about my marriage and sometimes my husband wants to make a decision and I'm like, wait a second, hold on. Or vice yeah. versa. And because yeah. I have a tendency to want to make decisions and act immediately. And mm -hmm. my husband's like, hold on, can we just think about this? Can we sit on yeah. it? And yeah. so in those simple things, mm -hmm. you have to choose to trust and you have to choose when to lay down your pride and your ego and go, mm -hmm. all right, sure. I, I may yeah. not agree with you or understand, but I'm going to follow your lead and you can have this one. But then there's even... Another, uh, another extreme example would be if you've come from relationships where you can't trust, mm -hmm. you've been cheated on or abused or whatever. Like I had a lot of that and yeah. I came into my marriage. I could have brought with me all of my distrust from past experiences and become extremely controlling and manipulative with a yeah. man who has given me no reason to distrust him. I have to actively choose when I start to feel myself going, well, I, this feels 
like the past, mm-hmm. I have some pause and I have to think, but you've given me no reason to not trust you. You're a different yeah. brand than these men. And I, that's how I can best explain it to relate to God. Yeah. Just because we go through really hard things and people are poor representation of who God is, mm-hmm. doesn't mean that God is bad. And so having to actively choose okay, uh, God, I don't understand. I don't get it. I I don't even agree, but I'm with you. You know, when we go through bad situations, in my opinion, especially when it involves church hurt or abuse, what should happen is it should drive you to your knees Mm -hmm. and in the word of God more so that you can research, God, is this who you are? That's what I did. I mean, because I came to the point where I was like, you're not redemptive. You're not a healer. You're not the God who sets every, everyone free and you're not good. Like those were the four things that I was like, I don't, I don't see it. Yeah. I had to go to the source, which was the Bible. And I had to Mm -hmm. sit in front of God and go F you a lot of times and and start asking questions before I was like, Oh yeah. So I know we need to wrap this up, but if you had a challenge or an encouragement anything for the listeners to take away from this and your story, what would that be? I think, I mean, I've just been over the past couple minutes, I've just been thinking about the people who have gone through, whether it's this organization or another one, um, church abuse and church hurt or relationship abuse. And they've come to the conclusion that God is not good or he doesn't care or doesn't love them. I just want to say that that's not true to even people who have been hurt specifically by this organization, what you do doesn't determine how much God loves you, Yeah, your actions, and even your feelings about him don't determine how he feels about you. This organization tends to be very judgmental as far as your actions and how that relates to God or how God relates to you. I can remember the lead pastor saying, I think it's in Hebrews, but there's a verse that talks about working out your salvation. And I remember in one of her sermons years ago, her saying that that verse means you have to literally work out your salvation if you want to keep it. Yeah. And I just remember that put so much fear in my heart that I am still working out. So I know that it had to have done the same thing to other people. And I know that this is kind of their general mentality is that if your works aren't lining up with what God says, well, then you're just basically a heathen. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Use yourself or God will take it away from you. Yes. And I just want to reiterate that Jesus says, if, if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and I'm like, I I know there is a verse. I just can't remember it. I should have looked it up. I'll have to find it. But once your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you can't take it out. And he doesn't take it out, even though he could, he doesn't. And your actions don't determine how God feels about you. And I don't remember where I heard this, but I heard it in relation to like parent child relationship. The parent says like, there is to their child, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing good that you can do to make me love you more than I already do. And there's nothing bad that you can do that'll make me love you less. That's really how God feels about us. He doesn't care if you have 
rejected him. He doesn't care if you're questioning him. He doesn't care if you're wrestling with those really hard questions about who he is. He loves you just the same. Jesus died for you just the same. There's not a person on this earth that Jesus didn't die for. And it does not matter how messed up you are, how messed up you think you are. He still loves you. And there's always hope for redemption. There's always, always that love of God for you. No matter what churches, organizations, people will tell you. Wow. It's just, it just, ugh, it just makes me want to cry for the people who have heard that message and taken it to heart that they're so messed up. God can't love them. Same. No, that's so good. I'm so glad you said that. I felt the same. And, you know, we've all had, we've had a lot of conversations that we've taken to the app signal. And that's where a lot of our community is chatting right now. And we've had ex-members reach out and reconnect and want their story to be heard. And I've sat on the phone with several people and I've heard them and I have felt a mixed bag of relief that their story is finally being heard and that their experience is finally being validated. And and whether I agree with them and, and their view or their lifestyle doesn't matter because right. that's the lens that they look through. It's the experience that they had. It's how they interpreted it. So I've thought, oh, that I'm so happy this is happening, but I've also sat there and felt so heavy and just felt so much grief that I, I've honestly had to go and pray because of the damage. The damage done is so great. And, and it's, it's just greater than I think I thought it was. I knew it was bad, but now that we are in the debris of it all, yeah, it's heavy, but yeah. Rachel, I'm thankful for you and just who you've been not only now, but just in, in your entire journey, because your life really took a turn and your life could have been a lot different than it is now. But I just, yeah. I, I admire the endurance that you've had. And I admire the fact that, that there was always something in you that held on that, that still, even in our, in our chats, when we talk back and forth, there's something in you that always goes, you can be mad and you can have emotions. And, and I've kind of giggled at you a little lately for <laughs> your passion and some things, but you, you, oh, yes. you keep going back to God's good. Even in text can hear through your, your words that you send. Mm -hmm. I can hear that you've resolved who you are and what you believe in so many yeah. things, even though you're still processing this very much. So yeah. I just, I love you. And I'm so thankful that you came to share your story. And I feel like yeah. just in so many conversations we've had, I, I want to have you back to talk about different things. Oh, and there's so many things that are going through my head. I'm like, oh, no, this <laughs> was so good, but we could hit so many topics. And yes. so for you listeners, Rachel will be back. 